You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. I was uh, flipping through the channels a little while ago when I happened to um, stumble upon a, well, it was a, it was a kind of a motivational seminar hosted by a celebrity televangelist. And I think the people at the seminar would have considered themselves to be at church, quote unquote, technically, even though there was very little on the stage to indicate that it was a church. And at first, nothing in the sermon to indicate that it was a sermon, uh, but I watched for a few minutes and uh, I heard a string of, you know, kind of self-help maxims about how to be happy and satisfied for your own sake. It, it was it was um, it was like the, the pastor had Chinese food for dinner the night before and decided to base his message on the sayings he found in his fortune cookie. And actually, I had a fortune cookie last week that said um, what did it say. It said uh, happiness begins with a smile. Is what the fortune cookie said, which isn't really a fortune, by the way. That's just well. Anyway, it's that's not a, a fortune. Is supposed to be this or that thing will happen to you. But so often with the fortune cookies, there's no fortune. It's just telling me something about myself or some you know little insight into the world. But anyway, happiness begins with a smile. It said, and I thought even at the time that that was about as deep and meaningful and religious as uh, anything you'll hear in about 85% of the sermons delivered across America each Sunday. So after a few minutes, um, and I don't know why I continued watching, but I did. And after a few minutes, the uh, self-help guru slash pastor did finally utter the word Jesus, but it was so startling and seemed so out of place in the context that I kind of sat up and took note. Um, and then I was immediately disappointed when I heard how Jesus had been introduced into the conversation. The audience was urged to, quote, make Jesus part of their lives. And it was then explained how this decision would lead to many temporal benefits, including you know, increased happiness and comfort. With just a minimal investment, all of the peace and luxury on earth can be mine, I was told. I felt like I was, I was listening to a, like a timeshare presentation. Now, I don't want to focus this discussion specifically on prosperity preachers like the one I'm using as an example here. I think this uh, make Jesus part of your life attitude infects nearly every church and denomination in the country. And in many or, I don't know, most churches in America, this is about as much of a religious commitment as the flock is called to make. And it's as much of a commitment as the church itself displays uh, where you see that, you know, Jesus is just a part of the proceedings and not even a very important or noticeable part. And you see this even in, 
in um, in many churches you see this even in the the architecture even in the way that it's decorated or not decorated just in everything about the building you see how jesus has been minimized and i know a lot of people will say well say they enjoy the uh, the minimalist approach to churches so they don't want artwork and they don't want you know crosses and everything else um and there is a way to make a church in a minimalist way that's actually um beautiful and still feels sacred there's a way to do that and that's that's great but i found in my experience many of the quote minimalist churches they end up looking like you know you look like you're inside of a dmv or something you you look like you just went to the post office you're just in some nondescript bland building where it looks like the people who built it did not at all intend for it to look like the kind of place you would go to worship god It, it, it seemed so it seems they were trying, it's not like that they were going for a minimalist approach. They were trying to minimize Jesus. They didn't want to advertise that this is where people go to worship Jesus. Which I just find interesting. And this is kind of off topic a little bit. It's not really what I wanted to get into. But um, even in your home, in your house, there are certain maybe places in your home that you go to do certain things. And so in the way that you adorn it and in the stuff that you put in it, it, it kind of is meant to foster that, right? Um, so if we're going to a particular place to be with Jesus, wouldn't we do the same thing? Wouldn't we want to create an atmosphere that reflects or indicates what it is we do in this place? But you don't find that. And then on the, the, the other extreme end of the spectrum, you have not the minimalist churches, but the churches with all of the fancy light displays and everything. And it doesn't look like a DMV. It looks like you're, like you're in a, you know, like you went to a, a rock club or something like that. Jesus is just a part. And as I say, not a very noticeable part. But this is how many of us approach our faith, isn't it? We find a place for Christ somewhere. We, we sprinkle him around the edges of our existence. Uh, he's a little bit of a garnish on the plate of life, if you will. We are, and I've been using this term more and more recently because I think it kind of defines what we have become as Christians in America, but we are incidental Christians. We are Christians incidentally. The word incidental means accompanying, but not a major part of something happening as a minor part or result of something else synonyms casual contingent and that's what it is our faith in this country is not fake exactly it's just casual it's an incidental minor imperceptible part of our day-to-day life many of us that's how we treat christianity like some kind of hobby if we even prioritize it that much because there are a lot of people that would certainly put their hobbies put a lot more time into their hobbies than they do into their faith so it may be more accurate to say that Christianity for many of us is one of those hobbies like uh, camping or jogging that we put down if we're filling out a, a profile on a dating site or something. But in reality, we only participate in the listed activity about once every five years or so. As for our actual hobbies, whether it's uh, watching TV or playing video games or what have you, we demonstrate far more enthusiasm for them than we do for our faith. Um. And so what are 
church leaders should be hammering into our heads, as uncomfortable as it is for people like us to hear, is that Christ is supposed to be not a part of our life. Certainly not just a part of church, but church, but, but, but Christ is supposed to be our entire life. Not an aspect of it, but the entirety of it. Complete and utter submission to Christ in all things. This is the goal of the Christian life. None of us will fully realize it. I have um, realized it far less than a lot of people, but still, that is the goal. St. Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, do we imagine that this is just one possible way of approaching the faith? No, this is the only way. Total surrender. A life that absolutely revolves around Christ. A willingness to rid ourselves of anything that is not Christ. A desire to root out and destroy everything in our lives that even slightly interferes with Christ. Um, It's not required that we be perfect, but it's required that we desire perfection and strive towards it. That's, That's what it comes down to. And I talked about this in a piece I wrote a few weeks ago. That, you know, if we don't want a life that revolves around Christ, and I'm not saying that in order to get to heaven, we, have to, we must have, at the end, a life that revolves entirely around Christ, because nobody who is not perfect will have that. But we must at least want it. And if we don't want it, then we don't, and then as I said in my article that I titled, um, You Might Not Want to Go to Heaven, if we don't want a life that revolves around Christ, then we don't want heaven. And if we don't want heaven, then, then, well, we won't have it. And as I said, there is a reason why Christ says that the door to eternal life is narrow and few will enter through it. And it's even scarier when you look at that verse. It's even scarier than it sounds at first blush because Christ actually says that many who want to enter will not be permitted. What does that say about those of us who don't really want to? What does that say about us? Because we only want to go to heaven if we want a life that's completely consumed by Christ and nothing else. If we want a life that's only partly Christ, then we don't want heaven. So there are people who want to go to heaven and don't go. What about those of us who don't even really fully want to go? Do we still get to go? If, if, If Jesus is not even close to our primary joy in life, How do we go to a place where he's the only joy? If we're content to make Christ only a part of our lives here, how can we go to a place where there is no life but him? How how can we do it? You know, one of the many dangers of this incidental kind of Jesus is a part of my life faith is that it tends to be self-perpetuating. Um, when Christ is reduced to being just a part of our existence, there isn't much incentive to keep him around at all. That's the problem. And the brand of kind of secularized megachurch that I mentioned at the beginning is a great example of how this process plays out, um, where you see that there's this, as I say, this, minim, this, this minimizing of Christ that, 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 that continues. It becomes regressive. Because Christ is supposed to be at the center of any worship service, worship service i mean he's the only reason to have a worship service he is who we are worshiping but once churches start pushing him to the side in order to make room for things that have almost nothing to do with him um elaborate light displays and concerts and everything very soon the churches cease looking or sounding like churches at all because 
If Christ is not the only point of church, then there's no reason for him to even be a point. It's all or nothing. And if we try to find something in between, we end up with nothing. We end up, in this case, with mildly religious coffee shops and dance clubs. And I think we see this play out in our own lives as well. Once we've determined to make something else a greater or equal priority to Christ, we'll find that Jesus' share rapidly diminishes. If we say, okay, I'm only going to give him a third of myself or a quarter or a tenth or a twentieth, he will, of course, fight to reclaim the lost ground. He's not just going to give up on us, but, but we having relegated him to third wheel, third wheel status or fifth wheel or 10th wheel, we'll fight ever harder against his efforts because we see them as an intrusion. And that's the thing about Jesus that uh, I've discovered is that he's either Lord and Savior in our lives and our only source of joy, or he's a nuisance. He can't really be anything else. Um, there is no way to sort of find happiness in Christ or to sort of take joy in him. There's, there's no way to, to do that. He's either Lord and Savior or he's, a, he, he's, in our, he's, some, he's a, something obstructing us. He can't be anything else. We may think that we could take Jesus and put him in sort of this advisory or consultant role. We sort of just consult him every once in a while when we have a problem. But he's not satisfied with that position. He doesn't want to be just our cosmic life coach or heavenly guidance counselor. He doesn't want to be merely that anyway. He wants, to give, he wants us to give ourselves entirely to him. And all of his advice, if you can call it that, points towards that end. If we're trying to avoid that end, then we'll find ourselves more and more avoiding Christ, decreasing and decreasing, decreasing whatever portion of ourselves we've given to him. And that's why I think scripture tells us to do the opposite. He must increase, but I must decrease. We should be working constantly to identify the parts of our lives that are not of him so that we can eradicate them and fill, fill him in the void. But it's just a shame that many Christians will never hear this from their church leaders. They won't hear about a Christ who wants us to die to ourselves and live in submission to his will in all things. Instead, they hear about a Christ who only wants to tag along like a, a buddy, just hangs out, so cooperative and super chill about everything. They hear about this Christ who wants to be part of our lives. But that Christ doesn't exist. He doesn't want, the real Christ doesn't want to be a part. He wants every part. He wants the whole thing. And I don't mean, by the way, to, uh, I know you could say I'm playing semantics here and picking apart, because people could say, oh, you know, make God part of your life. People could say that and, mean, and not mean it literally. They just, it's just a sentiment they're saying, and they're not putting a lot of thought into it. And that's, that's true. So I'm not attacking people to do that. But in, it, just, it, it, it jumps out at me because so often when people say that kind of thing, it appears that they really mean it literally. Like they really are saying, Make him a part of your, just a part. And in this case, when I heard it in this context from this person, I, I just, it seemed to be a literal recommendation. Make God a part of your life, just a part. Fit him in somewhere. Fit him in the cracks of your life somewhere, wherever you can put him. Even if it's off in a corner somewhere. 
stuffed in a closet, wherever. Just put them somewhere. And that's just, that's not the approach. That's not the approach that's going to make us happy in this life. And it's certainly not the approach that's going to bring us eternal happiness in the next life. And that's, uh, that's my, my point. All right. Well, we'll end it there. I'll talk to you guys next time. Akruche Salus. Godspeed.